WQHD HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. Good morning to everyone joining us here in the Tri-State on Hot 97 and from around the country and around the world via live stream on our free Hot 97 app and our website, hot97.com. This is Street Soldiers, your weekly news, talk, and information show from New York City, the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Lisa Evers. And you can enjoy all of our Street Soldiers episodes on my website, lisaevers.com. That's our Hot 97 episodes and our Fox 5 episodes. And I'm very happy to announce that uh, you will be seeing us again next Friday, starting at 1030 with the Street Soldiers TV version is back in the new normal version. Um, so over the next two hours this morning, what's going on? I'm going to give you a brief rundown of the week's highlights. We're going to take your calls at 1-800-223-9797. That's one 800 223 9797. Dr. Manny is with us to handle your medical questions. And we've got attorney Philip Hamilton who will be breaking down what's happening on the streets with police and the law and all these summonses. And we'll also get some inspiration from Reverend Dr. Johnny Green Jr. of Mount Nebo Baptist Church in Harlem. We're also going to check in with Bronxboro president and strong supporter of our hip hop culture, Ruben Diaz Jr. He's been leading a movement to help the people of the Bronx in many ways. Hasn't been getting a lot of attention. But uh, I've been seeing the work that they've been doing, and I want to share that with you. You're going to feel uplifted about what's actually being done. But first, I would like to extend my condolences to the family, friends, and fans mourning the death of Bronx rapper Fred the Godson. He passed away this week due to the coronavirus uh, complications, and everyone who knew Fred recognized his authenticity and his tremendous talent. He was on a Street Soldiers Hot 97 and Fox 5 episodes in 2017, right after he dropped his album Gordo. He represented a strong hip-hop voice against racism. He came on to speak about that. And this was that time where the, uh, the Charlottesville white supremacist rampage had happened, and a lot of people were looking for answers. He and his loved ones are in our thoughts and prayers. And uh, may he rest in power and peace and paradise. Now, to this past week, wow, another one, actually. What a week. I mean, how many weeks do we say that? Pretty much every week now. I don't know how you're feeling about everything. You can let me know at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. But to me, it seems that when one battle is won in this war against the evil coronavirus, that's what I call it, another one is already at our doorstep. The ventilator and hospital bed shortages were resolved. We even ended up with empty beds. Governor Cuomo says because New Yorkers are doing such a good job social distancing and staying home, there were fewer than 100,000 coronavirus cases than projected. That was less than 100,000 coronavirus cases than they said were going to happen, happened. And Governor Cuomo says we should all take credit for being a part of that and also for saving lives. Here in the city, Mayor de Blasio announced that all city permit events are canceled through the end of June, that means no Puerto Rican Day Parade, no Salute to Israel Parade, and no Pride March. It also means no neighborhood block parties or annual events like Old Timers Day in Brownsville. All summer youth employment and recreation programs have been canceled. Schools will not reopen before the summer break begins. A lot of big changes 
and a lot of impact in our communities. Mayor de Blasio also announced the opening of 11 community-based locations to make coronavirus testing available at some city public hospitals in neighborhood locations and high-risk communities where there's been virtually no access. And we've been reporting since the beginning about the racial disparities in access to health care. The mayor also announced that the city jail population, you would have seen this earlier on my Instagram, dropped and on Hot 97's Instagram, less than uh, dropped to less than 4,000. The city jail population, less than 4,000 for the first time since 1946. The mayor says more than 500 inmates who were put behind bars on parole violation technicalities have been released. He also says fewer people are going in, 600 in the most recent monthly tally, compared to 3,300 for the same time period last year. Now, this was a week where two powerful political enemies also stood on common ground and actually made some progress. Governor Cuomo traveled to Washington, D.C. to meet with President Trump for federal help in manufacturing coronavirus test kits, which the state will administer. The governor says the state is testing 20,000 people a day. He wants that doubled to 40,000. A day. Priority will be given, he says, to healthcare professionals and workers, first responders and essential services workers. He's coordinating a tri state plan with the governors of New Jersey and Connecticut and will enlist the support of medical, of medical school students to form a core of disease detectives. That's what they're calling it under the leadership of former New York City mayor and presidential candidate Mike Bloomberg. Bloomberg donated $10.5 million of his own money to the effort, and many people felt reassured that a man of his experience who knows how to run large-scale operations is leading the, leading the charge on this. Now, this new testing and tracing plan, we've been hearing a lot about this. We're going to break this down for you. Um, this will mean that if you test positive, they will want to know everyone that you've been in contact with, and if you're not seriously ill, you're going to have to go into isolation, quarantine. Uh, we're going to find out more about that, what it means for you and uh, what it means going forward. How are they going to do this on such a huge scale from Dr. Emmanuel Fambu? He's a medical doctor, surgeon, best-selling author, and medical futurist who we call Dr. Manny. Dr. Manny, thank you for joining us again. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Dr. Manny, what do you think realistically about this major testing plan uh, that the governor and that the mayor have been announcing? It's uh, very important for us to get back to what the new normal is, right, to, to, get, to get back. Because we need to know those that are positive and those the people that are not positive or those that have been infected in the past uh, going forward. So we talked about uh, uh, this kind of testing. So we have the antigen testing that's looking at specifically at the virus, right? Have you been infected and now you, you have active infection? That's one kind of testing. And we have the antibody testing that is uh, being developed. Um, nothing's FDA approved yet, but, but a test in the development. They'll basically look at you and say, hey, have you been um, exposed to this virus before? And have you recovered from that? Then can you get back to, uh, to work or, you know, uh, get back to whatever the new normal is uh, for you? Uh, but we did talk, we talked about the vaccine before, uh, as that being a very important uh, step for us to get back to normal. And we know that a vaccine is 12 or 18 months uh, out at best, right? Just because there's a study going on does not mean that the studies will come back positive. Right. So so that's something we need to know. But in the meantime, how do we return back to our normal lives? The best way to do that is through uh, uh, contact um, tracing, which uh, happened in South Korea. So South Korea actually implemented uh, contact tracing and they have been able to return back to normal much faster than we are. Right. Or, or we have. 
But the difference there is in South Korea, they could track people down without their permission, <laughs> right? So <laughs> here we have that privacy and the HIPAA laws and correct and all that. So it's kind of difficult to implement that, um, uh, you know, in a Western country, especially in, in the U.S. But what's going to happen is people that opt in, right, to be tracked. Uh, you probably will return to, and, and you, you haven't had a vaccine, you're most likely to return back to normal much faster than people that refuse not to be tracked, right? So it's probably the best option to opt in. So in terms of what they're talking about, so they're talking about having this test more accessible, having it in some of our communities uh, where there was virtually no access to testing. And then if you test positive, then you go into some kind of database or or whatever where they're going to trace you and tra- and ask you for Everybody that you've been in contact with, how does how does that work? Like, how do they even begin to do that in a place like New York City? Correct. So, uh, several weeks ago, um, Apple and Google, for example, uh, uh, announced uh, that they're going to partner and work together in the efforts of contact tracing. Right. So, you know, your phone in general has a GPS location, uh, things that track your location and things. Right. So, we all know that if you opt in into any of those apps, you probably gave up your rights for them to. A long time ago. Correct. Exactly. That's how Google knows to tell you a Google map. To the tell things you, you to don't go. read and you go agree to get to the next screen and to get the upgrade or whatever. C- correct. Right. Even if you use Uber or whatever it is, they're tracking your activities. Right. They're exactly where you go. And so, if you think about Apple and Google coming together to do this, this is unprecedented. Right. So, you talk talking about uh, most of our phones that we have today is either an Android phone or you have an Apple phone, right? right. So they have access to, I mean, to, to locations. So you opt in. And so they partnered to say they'll track, they could do this tracking. So the way this program works is this. If you have symptoms, so if you show up in the hospital or you have symptoms of uh, COVID-19 that you've been infected, you have fever, all those symptoms we discussed uh, earlier, then what happens is the first thing is we go in and say, who have you been exposed to? Expose, how does, what does exposure mean? Exposure means that who have you been in close contact with for around 10 minutes, okay, 10 minutes, and, oh, within, wow. and less than six feet distance, right? So social distancing will still take place in this normal world, right? Okay, so, in this new normal world. Correct. So if we say, for example, you've been exposed to five people and we could track on your phone and see what those five people are, who you came in close contact with, then you reach out, you work with a, with a health worker, which you mentioned uh, in New York City, we're looking at partnering with some medical students, right, to be these health workers. Right. Because we need a lot more people in that particular space. Totally. Correct. Then those people reach out to the people that you were close to, and those people will get tested. And then if they get tested and you're negative, then you're okay. If you're positive, then you have to track the people that you got exposed to, right? So that chain keeps going over and over again until we identify those people that have been exposed. And those people now will be quarantined, right, if they, if they are positive, And then we, we take care of them, and then when they recover, they get back to, to society. But it's also very important that for us to do this mass testing, we have to understand that first, we don't have enough tests, <laughs> right, to test Right, everyone. which is why Governor Cuomo went down to the White House. Correct. And when we start doing testing, the case numbers will go up, of course, naturally, right? Because right. we know there are people right now that, uh, you know, have been exposed to the virus, but, but are asymptomatic, which means they're not showing symptoms. So the more testing we do, the more positive we find. But it's good because we could then control that and manage that. So it's very important for us to understand that first we need to have enough uh, PPE, so protective equipment for healthcare workers and frontline workers before we start getting into this mass testing thing because more people will be showing up at the hospitals and we need to protect our frontline workers. All right. Now, what is the story that, that came out this week? I, I did see a few little things about it earlier, but there was a big story uh, that came out this week that, that you shared with us with a, in the Washington Post about people, younger people with no underlying health conditions getting strokes from coronavirus. What is that? Correct. So very interestingly, uh, we do know uh, that uh, COVID-19 is a respiratory disease, right? So we talked about that. So 
in general, we always thought about symptoms, we always thought about this whole concept of, hey, I have fever, right? And then I have difficulty breathing, then I go to the hospital, then I get put on a ventilator. Right. That's the kind of, like, the trend we've been looking at, right? But then recently, uh, we had, uh, like, the Washington Post published it, um, the Lancet published it, the New England Journal of Medicine published this, about articles about this, showing that in young pe- people, they've seen a lot of young people that are showing up with strokes. There's actually a great case of uh, a 44-year-old male that's, that showed up with stroke symptoms, right? If you have a stroke, for example, you know you have a blood clot, for example, in your brain, um, that blocks blood from flowing to certain parts of the brain that affects function, right? And so he showed up. Oh, my at, God. Correct. He was unable to move some of his limbs, very young age. And so doctors are wondering why this um, this patient was having a stroke, right? And so they literally, um, the, 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 the surgeon actually described it as literally when he was in there, he had a device to go in and take out the clot. And when he was there doing it in real time, he could see clots being formed in real time as he was trying to take out the other clot, right? So imagine. Oh, my God. Right. And so if you look at symptoms today where there are younger people that are at home, you probably think, hey, I could tough this out, right? Or you show up in the hospital, and we've heard cases like this, Lisa, where patients are being told to go back home, and then wait until your symptoms get worse, then you come back in, right? We've heard cases like this, or you, you try to fight it, fight it through. So people are getting strokes. So if you get a stroke now, so now we know strokes is something that could happen in this patient population at a very young age. The typical age, of, I mean, the average age of people having this kind of stroke is 75. But we have this happening in people in their 30s and 40s, um, right, and having strokes. So what we're learning, because the underlying factor here and, and from new research that we know is that this virus, yes, it, it comes in through your lungs, but it causes something called endolite. And endolithiasis, which means it actually causes inflammation of the blood vessels. So we know that there's a vascular component of this, inflammation from the blood vessels. So that's a very unique way of looking at this. And the same thing has been linked up to cardiac arrest, right? Uh, which is uh, which is another uh, uh, cause of this. So you have cardiovascular uh, influences of, of this virus. But in, so the people that are getting these strokes, do they have the other symptoms like the respiratory problems and the fever and then they get the stroke or it's just or it's just they get the stroke? There was one story. I, I didn't see the whole thing, but I just saw a little snippet of it. A man, he was like a marathon runner. He was in f- phenomenal physical health, didn't smoke, you know, no, no, no unhealthy habits. And uh, he, he had he had a stroke from this. Thank God he survived. But. Do they have the other symptoms? Correct. Yes. Yeah, so you probably start off with, with with fever. I mean, every time you have an infection, you get a, you get a fever, right? So you get a fever. So imagine in your mind you are thinking, okay, when I have difficulty breathing, that's when it's real bad. Then I want to go see. Then my you got to call or call nine one one, right? Correct. Call nine one one. But now you get hit with a stroke, right? And so, when, but so before, if you had a paramedic show up. They're not thinking you ha- that a stroke is related to you having COVID-19, <laughs> right? So you had a stroke and the symptoms are completely different. Uh, and so that's a very, that uh, completely uh, throws uh, a different, uh, it's a different ballgame. Right. And then it also, also has implications, as you point out, with the, with the ambulances only having 20 minutes per patient with Correct. these DNRs. We've discussed this, right? Where in New York, uh, in New York City, for example, right? We, we have paramedics uh, showing up and if they can't, resuscitate you or if they deem you death, uh, dead at the point when they show up. That uh, you, after 20 minutes, if they try to bring you back um, to get you back to functioning and you, you can't breathe and then they, they leave you there. And then all these numbers, uh, the, these 4,000 plus people that may have died that they don't know, they're not sure it was coronavirus. It could have been if they had a heart attack or 
had a stroke, it could have been it could have been that. Correct, and, and this has already happened in New York City, uh, Lisa. Remember, right. the, the numbers uh, jumped up because in general, the people that were dying, that we didn't consider them, they were dying from uh, COVID nineteen. Right, and so we go back and did autopsies, and then we realized that a lot of people died, and we didn't count it. So I think the numbers here will be far worse than what I, what is happening today. Than what we think. Correct. Oh my gosh, one eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Doctor Manny is with us here in the studio, and uh, we're joined on the line right now by Reverend. Dr. Johnny Green. He's the pastor of the Mount Nebo Church in Harlem. He has lost 11 church members in the last month, nine of them to the coronavirus. And uh, Reverend Green, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. And Reverend Green, the um, and our condolences just to, to your entire congregation and to, and to yourself. I can't imagine what kind of a, you know, what everybody must be going through. It's been it's been a nightmare. It's been a bumpy ride, but by faith, God has gotten us through it. And um, Reverend Green, you've been administering to your to your church members on Facebook, Facebook Live. You've been do, doing the Zoom. What kind of messages do you give them when they they see people that they know that they've worshipped with regularly, that they've done all the great community work that you do in Harlem? that they, they see them passing away at, at such a large number and in such a short space of time. How do you how do you give people hope in a circumstance like that? Well, we are, we are people of faith, number one, and uh, our, our faith is in an existential God, and we do not believe as Christians that this world uh, is our permanent home. Uh, the Apostle Paul over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 describes our human frames as earthly tents. And he says that when uh, we're uh, when this earthly tent is removed, we have another building, I mean, with hands eternal in the heavens. And so we believe that when our uh, spirits leave our body, uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Although it is a painful experience, to lose a loved one is painful, no doubt. Uh, it, it takes us through excruciating agony. Um, people, um, people, uh, we have hope in God. Let me just say that our hope, our hope is built on Jesus Christ. And so, even though it is painful to lose our members at such a rapid pace, one right after another, uh, because of what we believe, the tenets of our faith. Uh, it it's helping people who have lost loved ones to get through it. And, and I'm seeing resilience amongst our congregation. I'm seeing resilience amongst um, the people in our congregation who have lost loved ones. Uh, the, the, the pain that they're experiencing is, has to do more with not being able uh, to give their loved ones a proper burial. Uh, we still have people who died last month whose remains are still at the funeral home uh, oh for a gosh. number of reasons. Uh, one, uh, uh, one funeral home was taking in so many bodies that uh, the virus uh, filled the, the, the funeral home and the employees were getting sick. And this, the, the uh, health department came in and, and made the funeral home itself quarantine. That's something we never heard of. That's something. We, and then because it's so many uh, uh, funerals piling up, so many bodies piling up, uh, the undertakers cannot get them embalmed and, and buried fast enough before new 
shipment of bodies is coming. And I know that sounds harsh, uh, but you can ride down the streets of Harlem by Harlem Hospital and you see the refrigerator trailers. Uh, they still have remains of individuals who died two and three weeks ago. Oh, my God. It's so sad. And, you know, the the other thing, too, is is that the, this virus, because a, a lot of the people who are really sick and that who, who end up passing away, they can't have their loved ones with them. The loved ones can't, as you point out, have a funeral for them. And it, it kind of takes away the individuality of like every individual person. Like, do you think it like, takes away our worth in some kind of way? Uh, I don't think it takes away our worth. Uh, but I can't imagine, uh, my mother died in 94, and uh, I'm so in Dallas. I can't imagine not being able to go to my mother's final resting place, to see her, uh, you know, uh, lower to her final resting place. Uh, I had a service a couple of weeks ago uh, where uh, it was a grayside service, and two uh, limousines full of family members followed uh, the remains to the cemetery in New Jersey. And when they got there, they were turned away. They were told that if they did not depart from the cemetery, that they would, they would be put out, escorted out of the cemetery and the body wouldn't be buried that day. And so they had to make an on the spot decision of who, and it was only one, they only allow one family member or one family designee to go to the grave. So right there on the spot, they had to make a decision as to who would go to the grave. And they decided that the pastor should go to the grave with their mother. So I went to the grave and I served not only as pastor, but I served as photographer. I took pictures for them uh, of the entire committal service. And then I gave those pictures to the family so they could have some sense of closure to know that their mother was properly buried, and that was painful for me. I mean, it was painful for me. It had to be, but you know what? Thank God you were there, that you were there for them, and at least they they had the comfort of knowing that you could give her the blessing and give her a proper, you know, a, pro- a proper goodbye. You know. Absolutely, we have something now <clears throat> we're instituting because it's getting so bad, and there's so many. Uh, people dying. Uh, we have what is called curbside committals uh, because the funeral home, because the cemeteries are not letting family members uh, in mass enter the cemetery. What we've, we've chosen to do is wherever the cemeteries are located, we've decided to pull the the procession to the side of the road. I meet the families there at the entrance of the gate of the cemetery on the side of the road, and we get out of the car and we stand on the curbside and we have a proper committal there and then the body is taken into the cemetery and lowered to his final resting place. And that's a really sad thing too, right? I mean to hear but imagine also add to this the fact that that person died alone, right? So before it was a thing where you were at the hospital you were sick, uh, you're about to die then you bring in, um, you know Your minister, a priest, a rabbi, imam whoever, right? Correct, you know to come in and then spend time with the family to to say that final prayer uh, right before that person dies but today people are, you know dying by themselves in a very lonely scary way of doing it you know, so so pastor, I don't know are you allowed, you know, to maybe use some kind of technology to communicate with patients on your final uh, minutes or seconds in the hospital? Uh, I am, but most of the people who have that communication, uh, communicating with their immediate family members, uh, 
Um, you know, I've been doing ministry uh, for 42 years. Wow. And I've been going in and out of hospitals since I was 15 years of age, praying for the sick, uh, comforting families. Uh, my family back in Dallas, uh, we're in the funeral home business. And so, you know, I'm accustomed to offering uh, comfort uh, to families uh, during their hour, hours of loss. Uh, but this is this is unfathomable. I mean, just six weeks ago, we couldn't could not have wrapped our minds around the fact that we wouldn't be able to go in the hospital. We wouldn't be able to hold patients. I'm used to holding my members hand. I'm a hands on pastor and I'm, I'm used to being there with them when they take their last breath. You know, I've been it is. But now, you know, this is terrible. This is awful what has, has, has become the new normal as a result of, of the coronavirus. It, it, re- it really is. It just, what a stress. And, Pastor, can you, give us some, can you just give us some hope as people, as people go through this? I mean, is there, can you see another side? You know, like, the, like a lot of people, a lot of us feel, feel like we're in a tunnel of darkness and it's just every day or every week there's something new, you know, that happens. Absolutely. Today, um, uh, at our uh, virtual worship service, uh, I'm delivering uh, a message entitled A Virus-Proof Faith. And uh, the message is taken from Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, where the disciples of Jesus, uh, at the command of Jesus, got on a boat and were instructed to pass over unto the other side. And in the midst of passing over to the other side, following Jesus' instructions, they encountered a storm, a storm of the likes that they'd never seen before. These were fishermen. These were men who were accustomed uh, to the water. They were familiar with the Sea of Galilee that they were traveling on at this time. But this was something that they had never seen before. But they exercised faith in God. They remembered first that God got on the ship with him. And if we can remember that God is with us, uh, David says in the 23rd Psalms in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art If we can muster up the faith to remember and to believe that, it, increase, it, it increases our faith, it stabilizes our faith. But then not only did they remember uh, that uh, the Lord had got on the ship with them. They had the mindset to call on him. They cried out for help. They asked, carest thou not that we perish? And they waited for him to speak to the storm. Now, here's, what, here's the premise of the, of the, the message today, uh, uh, a virus-proof faith. A virus-proof faith does not mean Christians won't get infected with COVID-19. It does not mean that Christians won't die from the coronavirus because we've already seen literally thousands of Christians die as a result of this diabolical disease. I call it the invisible assassin, and it lurks and seeks its next victim. But because we have faith in God, even though we may lose our health, even though we may lose our life, we will never lose our faith. And that's why we sang that song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. So our faith, even in the midst of the storm of the novel uh, coronavirus, 
is a faith that stabilizes us. It is a faith that sustains us, and it is a faith that sees us through. All right. Well, Reverend Dr. Johnny Green of Martin, uh, Mount Nebo Church in Harlem, thank you so much for that encouragement and uh, that inspiration. And thank you for sharing sharing your story and, and helping us understand what everybody's going through. Thank you for your strength and thank you for your words. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Lisa. All right. Thank you, Reverend, Reverend Dr. Johnny Green from Mount Nebo uh, Baptist Church. Manny, that's uh, Dr. Manny, that's pretty crazy, right? It is pretty crazy, and uh, something we could leverage here, um, and I, I hope, um, you know, Reverend Dr. Johnny Green uh, Jr. Is, is probably still listening to us, but I, I think uh, there is a deeper issue here if we look at the death numbers, right? Uh, we, we know that people, like patients, uh, you know, with diabetes and, and on heart failure are most susceptible to this disease with chronic disease. A lot of people within our communities actually spend a lot of time and they listen to the ministers quite a bit, right? So, so I think this is a great opportunity uh, for us to take this and say, what is the role of, you know, of the church in, in healthcare uh, activism? To say, listen, let's not just wait, right? Um, you know, for people to get sick. As we go to church and we, and we make our prayers, what kind of healthy lifestyles can we incorporate in this, right? So the next time we have such a virus or something like this comes up, we are much stronger as a community, right? And so that's the right way to, and I think that there's a lot that uh, the, the church could definitely do to help improve health care. All right. That's a great that's a great idea too. One eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. With us in studio is uh Dr. Manny. And Dr. Manny, we have some phone calls. If you're an essential worker, if you're a frontline worker, I want to say once again, shout out to everybody who is uh on the front line. Shout out to all of our essential workers who are keeping everything moving for us, going for us, keeping the stores open, all of the cleaning crews. Carrie, this is for you, especially the biohazard cleaners, because we've been shouting you out. But I want to make sure you know we appreciate what you all are doing. And uh, let's get to the phones right now. Let's go to Kim right now. Kim, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? Good. My thing is that um, why a lot of minorities are dying is because, you know, when this thing first happened, we were the ones that had to go out to work. When the Metro North was cut off, oh. uh, all the stay-at-home people, they were the ones who stayed at home. But the ones who got exposed to this virus was the ones who had to come out to work, like the housekeepers. We, I, I'm a housekeeper, and we had to come out to work. The transit workers. The Walmart workers, the McDonald workers, all those workers had to come out. We're like the front, the front line people that got exposed. So we went back to our families, and they got exposed. Our mothers, our grandmothers, our grandparents, and those are the ones that got exposed the most. That's why so many minorities are dying because we're the front line workers. Absolutely, and uh, you know, Governor Cuomo addressed that. This week, too, he acknowledged that a, a couple of times at some of his daily briefings, saying, you know, when you, you look at the racial disparate, disparities in terms of the infection rate, in terms of the number of deaths, where we're seeing two and three times the deaths among people of color and low-income communities, 
um, you know, as, as in the white and more affluent communities, it's just it's it's a shame, Doctor Manny. Now, correct. I mean, I, I have uh, I have friends even in the city that as soon as this virus showed up, t- took off to the Hamptons, right, <laughs> so, so to the left. Uh, so people are taking time off, and people are saying, "Hey, I am at home." Who can afford to? Who can, can afford to? The people that have second homes in Florida and other places that they could leave. They and, just uh, left. Correct, and go, and go spend time there. But then it, within the city, uh, and those people that are not actually affluent that live in the city, uh, that might be laid off or whatever. But people still have to go to grocery stores. People still need to get their packages delivered, um, and home health aides still have to do their work. And guess who? doing this work right right people within our communities and so these people were not protected early on they didn't have ppes even up to today <laughs> right so that's something we're still arguing for and advocating for and so it's very important for us to recognize our frontline workers and the communities that come from and then say hey how can we help these communities and support testing within those communities all right kim how are you protect- protecting yourself kim um well with uh, a mask you know covering my nose you know stuff like that uh um, washing my hands, but something needs to come out. After all of this is said and done, there has to be a fund put in place where minorities, you know, can get the resources that we need because there's going to be a lot of people that don't have parents and the support is gone. The right. husbands, the wife, you know, and now you, people are left with just the children to take care of. No, that's so true. It's so true. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have more programs. Some are starting to come into existence right now. But, Kim, thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for calling into the show. Thank you so much. Okay, take care. Uh, let's go to Nancy right now. 1-800-223-9797. 1-800-223-9797. I've got Dr. Manny with us in studio. Do you have questions about coronavirus, COVID-19, these new reports coming in that people in their 30s and 40s are dying suddenly or and are getting these strokes, these uh, potentially fatal strokes? And uh, let's find out what, uh, Na- let's see what Nancy has to say. Nancy, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Dr. Manny. How are you guys? Good. Doing great. Good How morning. are you? I'm good. Oh, good. I what? got a, I got a re- presumed positive test result. Okay. What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah. That means that, that means that maybe I had it. Maybe I don't. I got to wait for an antibody test. So. So, so why did what you I'd get like tested? Ask, are you? Uh, Nancy, let's ta- let's take it back to the beginning. Dr. Manny's asking. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, so why did you get tested? Was it because you were sick? Or was it because you're a frontline worker? You got exposed to someone. So why did you get tested? I got tested because I was sick on March 10th through April, early April. Wow. And it took that long for me to get a nasopharyngeal test. I got tested this Tuesday. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God is right. And, then a, right? And, a, and it's a very common story. You're lucky you even got a test, actually. Correct. Do you, uh, do you, I'm do you thanking have my lucky stars. Do you still have symptoms? I don't have, sir, I don't have any symptoms whatsoever. I am a healthy 37-year-old female. All right, so Dr. Manny, so she gets presumed, her results presumed positive. What does that mean, and what should Nancy be doing right now? This is one of those cases, like I mentioned, that there are a lot of people that uh, that are healthy that uh, have been ex- might have been exposed to the virus and probably had the mild fever, all symptoms and then recovered um, fully from it, right? So if you had symptoms and and uh, now you and and now you don't have symptoms, and then you took a test and it's presumed positive, so you need a, the next step level to find out, right? Are you positive because you've been exposed in the past, um, or are you are you a symptomatic carrier, or 
um, you know, you, you actually recovered from it. So, so they don't know that. So, so they, I mean, they have another test. You say the antibody test is coming, correct? Okay. Yes. No. I, I received a call from the Department of Health in Albany yesterday. She basically redeemed me and told me that I no longer need to quarantine myself at home, but I need to follow social distancing. I cannot be anywhere near anyone who's immunocompromised, just in case, which is something that I would never do. Never do. Um, she told me that I can go about my business as long as I wear a mask, wear gloves, do proper hygiene, hygiene, wash my hands, don't touch my damn face. All right, so, so what as is she, usual. So, mm-hmm. so did that, does she get an antibody test now or what is she like? Yeah, correct. So, so it sounds like, so kind of so, like a little gray area. So, no, so you had a test, uh, you came up positive and then they did an antibody test, right? And so right. She, she got a phone call to say, Hey, um, like she said, the term you used was redeemed, right? And right. there's a very key element um, to, to that word redeemed, right? So imagine today if anyone says, hey, I've been infected by COVID-19, right? So People will run out the door. Correct. So, so, so basically, uh, you know, what they're telling you is, yes, you're just like the rest of, like anyone else that is not infected before, right? right. So you're basically fine. Right. right. That's basically what it is. And so the same precautions that you need to follow, the same precautions that everyone else needs to follow. But, but let's let's go back to when you were sick, uh, when, you, when you actually were sick in February or March, as, as you said. Uh, and you were, if you were sick at that point and you were actually infected, right? And no one did the test and look how long it took to do the test. You had no idea if you were infected or not, right? So right. H- how many people did you get in contact with and how, how many people were you around? In general, not say intentionally, if you went to a grocery store, right? Or at home, I don't know if you live with or anyone. Or working or whatever. Or, or working or anyone that you went around. And so. So this is the contact tracing. You're contact talking tracing, about, correct. Nancy, did they ask you anything about, did they ask you anything about contact tracing or who you'd been in, where you've been working or anything Since like February? that? Since mm, February? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Back in March, none of those questions were asked. Correct. And so that's why you see these numbers uh, keep growing, because now what would happen is if someone has symptoms, you want to test them immediately, not let, not wait, right? Not, because, a month, not six weeks later. Correct, because you, your intention is not to expose anyone, but uh, if you were, you're not feeling well, remember, people have fever for multiple reasons. It's not Fever is not only COVID-19, right? We have right. fever for multiple things. Right. So if you have fever, you're not feeling well, you go to the hospital, unfortunately, you are a healthy person and you're in that good situation. So remember... Not everyone that gets infected dies, right? People, many people actually have been infected that had no symptoms, right, and fully recovered. Some and the vast have. majority of people survive. Correct, right? Uh, yes. We have to keep remembering that even though we're seeing these terrible death tolls and, and hearing these death, sad death stories. Correct. I mean, personally, I know several people that have been infected that recovered. And interestingly, uh, one of my good, the wives of one of my good friends, she tested positive after like 10 days after she had symptoms and they had no idea that she was positive and she actually felt better by the time the results came back she was feeling great <laughs> right so and she lives in an apartment building so imagine going oh, wow. to the elevator elevators and, correct and lobbies and all of that right that's the scary part that's why oh, testing is very important well nancy i hope you continue to feel better and better and better thank you for the call i just want to donate my plasma that's all i want to do Okay. That's right. So definitely, I mean, reach out. I mean, there are many um, uh, information out there. People definitely looking to uh, to collect yeah, the samples for that? clinical research. Like the blood bank, or yeah. So there, there, there are multiple platforms of uh, of different research uh, efforts uh, going on. Um, yes. Yeah, so like, uh, there's blood, I'm sure if you call the blood bank place, uh, they can definitely... put her in touch with the right person. Correct. They will. So All right. far, I've reached out to Columbia University, Stony Brook University, New York City Blood Bank, Mayo Clinic. You name it, I've called, and I'm not getting anywhere. 
All right, Nancy. Just you know. Nancy, I'm going to have... Thank you, guys. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. If you want to stay on hold, I'll have Anaya get your number, okay? We'll see if we can get some All more right. info for her. All right, I'm going to put you okay. on hold. And then, um, actually, Jack's going to put you on hold here for me. And then uh, Anaya's going to get your number. We'll see if we can get you more more uh, information. All right, we've got a lot of telephone calls, Dr. Manny. Let's, uh, let's go through this right now. Caesar, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Say good morning to you and Dr. Lisa. Um, I, um, something bothers me that uh, I constantly see on television, you know, and I hear on the radio. I understand that nurses, doctors, you know, people weren't lucky enough that they have biohazard suits to wear. But but engineers, what about the engineers that run in the hospital? They, ha- they have to go to all those um, quarantine places in the hospital. Or even the engineers that run the schools, they have to deal with the rec sites, you know. And um, they have to um, be there every day to open up that building and be around, you know, children and, and you know, and everything that going on with the essential workers children like there's 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 no credit being given to none of those engineers that have to deal with um the everyday struggle that they go through in order to not to get sick or you know in order to feed their family well caesar there's listen there's there's so many are you an engineer yourself yeah i'm an engineer and then well thank first of all thank you for what you're doing and there's so, there's so many workers i think one thing that's come out of this whole crisis is that we realize how interconnected we all are and we realize how many people are involved how many different layers and and just different careers and different jobs go into just making our day-to-day life you know happen so did your employer do the, do they give you any protective gear any any special gloves or anything like that special uh, mask i mean uh yeah, we can all point fingers at. I mean, at this hospital, at that place. I mean, it was difficult in the beginning to get anything. I mean, we all, everybody went through it, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, we did have uh, we we did have minimal stuff, but we had uh, we had our PPE, you know, gloves and uh, you know, and a mask and you know things like that. Until later, we had uh, we had more suits and things of that sort. But but I mean, regardless of not. Throughout this whole time period, I mean, I have never heard an engineer get credit for running a whole hospital. I mean, what the hospital? There's no engineer running it. No, absolutely. Well, we're, we're going to give you credit right now, Caesar. Thank you very much. Shout out to the engineers because that's a huge thing. If the equipment doesn't work, if the facility, the infrastructure doesn't work, people are going to die. No, correct. And I, and I think, uh, and thanks for calling to, to tell us about this, right? So because the average person has no idea what it takes to actually operate something, right? So if you, similar restaurants, right? Everyone thinks, well, the chef cooked the food, but no one thinks about how did the food get there, right? <laughs> right. All those things. Correct. And we know the hospital works, but behind that, there's a lot of people that actually put in very hard, hard work, right, to make this happen. And I think, yes, if you are in a hospital, you should have been protected from day one. And we, and we know that we said um, in hierarchy, right? So, yes, the doctors probably get the best equipment that comes in because they get in contact with the patients. But you have your engineers that also need to make this thing work, right? So I think everyone no, should absolutely. protect it. Correct. All right, let's go to uh, Bernard right now. Bernard, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning. How are you guys feeling? Good. How are you doing? I'm good, um, considering that I um, lost an uncle and about 100 co-workers. And my brother and my um, sister-in-law got infected. All to the coronavirus? And they didn't even know how they... All to, the, all to coronavirus? Yes, and they didn't even realize that they were infected. Oh, my gosh, Bernard, I'm so sorry. 
I can't but even imagine. You know, thank you, thank you, dear. I mean, it, it's just a sad situation how someone that's a human being or so what just throw this thing out here to infect people. And also, the the normal civilian out here, when the mayor talk about he's going to supply hand sanitizer and gloves to the nicer um, people, but how about the normal citizen that can't get a hold of anything? Right. So well, it's my belief if people can get hold of something that would disaffect or kill whatever bacteria or virus that's in the air or land on um, paper or cardboard or whatever, then I think it's going to be a recycle of things. All right. So you're you're asking about uh, you're you're asking you're asking about the. Um Wait, I'm just going to text here because there's a technical problem. Bernard, I'm going to put. You, I'm going to get a response from Doctor Manny because your your original question when Marilyn picked up your phone was was that the um was that the there was no, you know that does coronavirus stay in the air? Correct. Yes, and when it rains, does the rains um disintegrate it? All right, let me let me find out what he has to say. Okay, here, Doctor Manny, just explain that to us because I'm sure there's other people that have a similar. And Bernard, we're so sorry for what you're going through, but explain for us that the, the airborne piece of this and how long it lasts on surfaces because this continues to change a little bit too. Correct. So we we know um, that think about when you sneeze, for example, right? And so when you sneeze, it travels a certain distance based on how much force for your sneezes. Right, so right. in general, and so think about it that same way, and we know that it lives in, in uh, respiratory droplets, right? So in, in the fluid, uh, like you sneeze and you have like water coming out your nose or whatever, same kind of thing. So it lives. And we know that there's been studies that shows that this lives in the air for three to four hours, up in the air, right? And so in the air, if the wind blows, it travels further, right? I mean, just just a natural. It doesn't just go in the air and stand there and hang out, right? So it would travel over a certain distance. And then when it travels, what happens? It eventually drops on the surface, right? So if you're sitting around a table or you're in a car or, or whatever you are, it goes on that surface. And based on what that surface is, is made out of, we know that this could last for a very long period of time, right? You could go for over a day to four days on certain surfaces. And, and so it's very important for us to wipe down the surfaces and clean them. All the them. time. Yeah, and clean them all the time. So, so that's... but. And that's why it's good to wear a face mask on, right? So you put on a face mask pieces if it's in the air and you walk through it or it comes through, then you don't get that direct You're going to be, you're gonna be protecting yourself to Correct. a certain level. All right, let's, uh, we got a lot of calls. Let's go to Laura right now. Laura, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, Lisa. I love you so much. But, oh, thank you so um, I much. I just wanted to tell you, yeah, you and Dr. Manny, that I work at 311 specifically on coronavirus. So the calls coming in are very scary. People are being sent home from the hospital who are deadly sick and are dying at home. The statistics are way worse than people realize because people only recently started getting tested. So people were dying of the corona and were not counted in the numbers. Well, that um, I think we've we've heard a little bit about that, but I guess you're hearing it three one one. At the uh, at the three one one calls, and then Laura, are people asking you where they can get tested? Well, now they're testing, so they're they're testing all five boroughs. Right, but that the last three weeks they were not able to get tested, so people were dying and very very sick and being sent home because the hospitals couldn't couldn't handle it. Yeah, we've so had some calls like we we've had yeah, calls like that. So it's just. 
It's it's very it, it's way worse. I mean, it, it exposes the fact that the United States has a third world country health system that we can't help people. I mean, nobody pe- poor people are not being helped. They're being sent home and affecting their entire family. No, exactly, exactly. Well, Laura, thank you for the work that you're doing. We really appreciate it. Great. Yeah. All thank, right. Thank you. Thank you. And there are many you. cases like this that you, that you hear of people that actually went to the hospital and were positive. And they got sent home. We've had callers like that over the last Correct. couple of weeks. Yes. And, and, and there are people that you see. I've talked to, to friends, even on front lines working in hospitals, that tell me uh, direct cases of patients being sick. They've been to the emergency room four times and being sent back home. And they're positive. And they come back, we come back with a stroke, or you come back with a heart attack, and you end up dying right, because, uh, from this. Correct. Which because is a there's shame. No space. Correct. As a, as, a, as a physician, how does that make you feel when you hear about that? It's heartbreaking, and we had a conversation here, even paramedics, like being extremely heartbroken uh, about this, right? I think there's a lot more uh, that we could do here. And and, and just a, a quick fact, um, Lisa, you know, everyone is so ready, you know, to go back to work here. But if we look at uh, the pandemic in uh, in 1918, which is uh, the, the, the last Span- year, what was called the Spanish flu, correct. right? Yes, correct. The Spanish flu, it killed 20, mil- 20 to 50 million people, right? Wow. In second uh, overall, in, in the second wave, the second wave. But we forget that the first wave only killed three to five million people. So the first wave of the flu, of the Spanish flu, only killed three to five. At the end of this was 20 to 50 million people. So this is going to be far worse than what we think. And we know that, uh, you know, when the flu season comes around, now we have flu plus the, the coronavirus uh, coming in. So I think it's very important for us right now to be more proactive about healthcare, right? To engage on, on, you know, on social media platforms or other kind of ways to engage with people and live healthier lives. It's very important. And you, so, so you think that it's, it, it's not over dramatic or exaggerating to say that if we go back too soon, more people will die. Yes, no, of course. If we, if we go back too soon, many people will die. And if we don't change the way we look at healthcare in general, more people will die down the road. So the idea is the two things. Wait for the vaccine, we do testing, but we also need to live healthier lives. All right, that's a big piece of it. Right. All right, uh, right, right now let's go to a lot happening with the law. I want to bring in Philip Hamilton. He's a criminal defense and civil rights attorney. He was formerly with the Bronx Defenders. And um, Phil, you there? Lisa, I'm here. How are you doing? Uh, good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right, thank, Phil. Thank you for coming on because I know you've seen there been there's been a lot of interaction. The police have been out there, and, and you know, shout out to NYPD because they they've had they've lost a number of members to coronavirus. They've also had a lot of officers that have been sick and that have come back to duty. And one of the jobs, which I'm sure a lot of them don't really like having to do, but they have to disperse these. Uh, crowds you know where people are not social distancing especially a day like yesterday the sun comes out it gets a little warmer and um a lot of neighborhoods there were a lot of people that are out there and they have to t- start separating people and telling people to uh t- to disperse so i wanted to get you on the phone i'm glad you're here with us again um what should people do when they're approached by police I mean, the first thing people should do, you know, just going back to what you first said, is just to the extent if you don't have to be outside, just don't be outside, because that's the best way I think you can avoid any interaction with the police. So start there. You know, to the extent you can stay home, stay home. If you have to go outside uh, and there's a situation where you are being approached by the police, hopefully, you know, while outside, you're able to obey just the social distancing orders that have been in place at least since, you know, mid last month, you know, staying six feet apart from people trying to be in the best position to where you're not helping this virus to spread because to the extent if you're not in 
you know, if you're not conforming with those orders and you are ultimately approached by the police, which we've seen in certain situations. You remember a couple of weeks back, Lisa, there was that whole situation at the barbershop in Brooklyn where the police had to go out there and kind of break up that whole uh, video shoot that I think people were doing. That's just not a smart thing to do. And it's not a smart thing to do for a number of reasons. One, just from the health perspective, you don't want to end up sick. Uh, secondly, even if you don't end up sick, you don't want to end up arrested uh, in a time like this and you end up going over to, say, Rikers Island or something where, you know, you have over 700 people between both correction officers and inmates that have tested positive for the virus over there. Uh, you know, as you were talking about with NYPD being out in the street, they themselves have had a lot of issues in terms of dealing with COVID. You've had over like 600 police officers that have tested positive, uh, and that was just as of a couple of weeks ago. So you don't really want to be coming into contact really with anyone. Um, but to the extent if you're in jail and, you know, basically in a COVID incubator at this point, which is unfortunate for so many of the people that are in, you know, shout out to a lot of them that are in, hopefully that they're holding up and staying safe. You don't want to be in that situation. So if the police approach you, and are asking you to disperse, just disperse. It's not worth going back and forth with them, ending up arrested or, you know, ending up with a civil summons because they're issuing a lot of those right now for people who aren't, uh, you know, following the orders. And, you know, those summonses can come with fines up to $1,000. And, you know, with where the economy's going right now, the uncertainty with that, you don't want to be in a situation as we start to come out of this and you have, you know, $1,000 debt that you owe to the city you know, for just simply just not staying home or obeying the social distancing orders. Exactly. And then some of these summonses, because most of these interactions, according to the numbers that we're getting from police headquarters, you know, there's like there's like thousands, there's thousands of places every day with every 24 hour period in New York City where they're shutting down these businesses and shutting down little events that are going on and um, not giving out that many summonses because the, their main thing is they just want people not to get sick. So there but there, there are summonses that are being written. So what do people need to know about these summonses? I mean, the summonses are civil summonses uh, to the extent if you're not engaging in any criminal activity, right? Like if you're being ordered to disperse or if you're being ordered to do something and, you know, you're going back and forth with the officer and they can start to find a way to be able to write you up for a criminal offense, they can and they will. That happened going back to that Brooklyn uh, incident I, right. I, I referenced a gun, little while ago. Gun charges. The male and the female got gun charges. Right. There is. I think there was some marijuana summonses, stuff like that. They can also hit you with like obstruction of governmental administration. If they want to find a criminal charge to charge you with, they can't. Right. So just start with that. But, you know, with respect to the civil summonses, the main things you need to know is that you, you won't go to jail uh, for not answering a civil summons. Uh, you don't have to appear in a criminal court, but they still will issue a time and a place for you to appear before one of the Office of Administrative Trials and Hearings, uh, otherwise known as the OAT uh, offices. And, you know, you ultimately have to appear before an administrative law judge and, you know, either litigate your issue and say, look, I wasn't in violation of any of the orders that were issued during the time uh, of the emergency orders, or um, you got to go in there and, you know, pay the fine. And, um, you know, to the extent if you got to waste time going to one of the oath offices for something that, again, if you could have just stayed home, it's just best to stay home. So, yeah, if you're issued a summons and it's a civil summons, you don't have to worry about going to jail, but you do have to worry about getting hit with, you know, a fine of up to anywhere, you know, between zero and a thousand dollars. 
And you also have to worry about just taking that time that you may not otherwise have whenever we come out of all of this, to be wasting time down at one of the administrative courts. Exactly, you know? exactly. And so bottom line, when the police approach you, just this is not the time to you know make make your last stand or have any kind of beef or anything like that. I mean, look, Lisa, you know me. Anytime, it's never really the time to have your last stand with the police. However, you know, definitely exactly. uh, in this time. It, it, it's an extra. If they role. ask you to split up, if they, if you're out on the corner, you know who you are. They're with the red cup, <laughs> with the red plastic cups, you're out there on the corner, and uh, you know, or the block, or whatever, in front of somebody's on somebody's stoop, and they ask you to, you know, turn it off and leave. You got, you just, you, you, you just, you got to do that. It's just not worth it. Phil, hang. Can you hang with us for another minute or two? We got some questions for you here from the callers. All right. Absolutely, Jack. Am I doing this the right way? Okay. Uh, T, hi, you're on Hot 97 with Lisa Evers, Dr. Manny, and Attorney Philip Hamilton. What's your question or comment? Well, hey, uh, Lisa, hey, I just have a comment. Um, so the gentleman that was just on the line with you, very intelligent guy, and I just think it's very simple. You know, just don't break the law. Don't break the law in general exactly. and follow the guidelines within the town you live in. I mean, listen, um, breaking the law is not hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, not following these guidelines is not hip-hop. You know what I'm saying? Hip-hop is smart. Stay home. Don't get sick. That's the reason why a lot of our people are getting sick, because they just not stay at home. Yeah, you know, living unhealthy is a, is a part of it, too. But just follow the, Just follow the, if they, if, if We need to just stay home. We need to stay home, and that's how we'll get past this. You know, being on the corner with a red cup, that's out the window right now. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Honestly, if someone's on the corner with a red cup and they're, and they're not social distances, they deserve to get fines. Just my opinion. Um, thanks for taking my call. All right. Have all a good one. All right. T, thank you. Thank you very much for the call. So, so Phil, the, the, um, just, just basically in terms of, in terms of the law, it's like if the police tell you to do something, you, you have to do it. Some people don't realize that. I mean, it's always in your best interest to just do it, just comply. And you know, like we've done yourselves. I'm, I'm like that, whether we're dealing with COVID or whether we're not, because like you never want to put yourself in a position where you're escalating any situation. Right. But like the penalties for escalating a situation with the NYP, even if you feel as though you're in the right and they're in the wrong, and maybe legally they are in the wrong, it's not really your place to be litigating that right there on the street with the officer, because they always have the power whether they're right or wrong, to arrest you. You just can't be ending up either back at any of the precincts right now oh, yeah. or in jail right now. It's just not worth, like, you having that moment of pride on the street and you being able to say, hey, I'm going to, you know, you're not going to do me wrong. I'm going to get the last word. Like, don't let that literally be your last word because you end up in some kind of a situation where you end up sick. And, you know, is yeah, it really out. worth it? Exactly. When, when keeping it real goes wrong. Exactly. When keeping Amen. it real goes, real goes wrong. It's <laughs> right? not, and Amen. it's not, it's not hip hop. All right. Attorney Philip Hamilton, thank you so much for being with us again. We really appreciate it. All right, Lisa. Talk soon. Thanks uh, a lot. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Dr. Manny, the, uh, you know, Philip, Philip mentioned the jails too. He's like, this is not the time you want to be in a jail for any reason because the, the jail rate, the contamination there is so high. The cases, we don't even know how many cases are there and uh this has been a problem all around the country too with the city jails because you have people coming in and going out people coming in and going out correct we had we had uh, recent cases like in a jail in ohio where every prisoner was tested right and the infection rates were insane <laughs> right just from that so you think about it if someone gets locked up uh, today and you have a very close confined kind of environment it's very easy um to, to spread disease in that environment right and you know 
there's no social distancing in jail. I mean, you don't have that much space um, to do. So no, right. no time is the right time to be in jail, especially particularly now. Especially right now. But how, how, how can we have faith in the numbers? Because we hear like, we hear, okay, this number of inmates, this number of correction officers, and shout out to the correction officers that are doing, doing their job too in this, in this time. But the, um, and, and of course, are concerns for the for the inmates and the detainees, people that are awaiting trial and everything like that. But in terms of the numbers that we keep hearing, how valid are any of these numbers anyway? Because not everybody's being tested. If we have people in the free world, right, in nursing homes uh, and, and and frontline workers and and uh, our, our, our doctors and nurses, our, our commuters, right, right. Uh, engineers and uh, janitors, are not getting tested. Just imagine what is happening in the jails, <laughs> right? In terms exactly. of the tests that are there. So we, we know what's happening in the free world. So you can imagine what's happening back there, right? So For people it, who are behind correct. bars. So well. it's, it's really not good. And, and so one of the key things is, uh, is to remember is, uh, you know, to foot, just food for thought here. During World War One, uh, you know, we had people wearing face masks uh, going on because we had gas attacks, right? In World War Two, people lived without lights, um, you know, because of the air raids, right? Because right? of bombings, because bombings and air raids, so they, they lived without this. But today's world, we have Netflix, right? We have Hot ninety seven to listen to, right? Um, you know, you have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You have all this stuff. Please just stay home. Right? Exactly. Please just stay home. Just stay Please home. keep it locked here on Hot 97. I'm Lisa Evers. This is Street Soldiers. Uh, Dr. Manny is with us. We just heard from attorney Philip Hamilton. We'll be right back. And taking your phone calls, 1-800-223-9797. UHD HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers, and uh, we're talking about all aspects of the coronavirus pandemic. With me in studio is uh, Dr. Manny. He is a surgeon. He's a medical doctor. He has an MBA. Um, he's also a best-selling author, and uh, we're taking your questions at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. And while you're listening, it's a good time to text your family, text your friends. They they don't just have to be in the New York or the tri-state. You can hear this show live on our live stream. It's pretty cool on hot97.com. Just hit listen live or on our free Hot 97 app. Um, and, uh, you know, spread the word because there's a lot of, a lot of great information uh, coming out here. Dr. Manny, you ready to take some calls? We've got a lot of people that have been hanging out for a long time here. Let's go to uh, Mark right now. Mark, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, Lisa. How you doing? All right. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um, I just wanted to call in because um, I'm a frontliner. I'm an essential worker. I actually work at a children's psychiatric hospital. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, the impact with the whole COVID thing is pretty rough there. Um, and also at the same time, you know, uh, us, us uh, mental health therapy aides, we really don't get the recognition that we deserve, honestly. But um, it's just, it's it's really crazy because going through this whole this whole pandemic right now, the impact that it has like on us and on on, on the kids themselves, it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable because of the fact all visitations stopped, all all passes to go home has stopped, and it's been making the kids miserable. And it's also crazy because we actually has have had cases in the hospital ever since visitation stopped and the kids couldn't go home on passes. And it's just, it's just above us to the point where it's like, how is this even happening? Oh, you Mark. Know? Well, first of all, thank you for what you're doing and shout out to all the mental health therapy aides. 
what kind of changes are you seeing in the in the children? Because I'm sure you know them pretty well. You work with them consistently. What kind of changes are you seeing in the children as a result of what we're going through right now? You know, it, it's a it's a lot. It, it goes from between the depression to to the anxiety to the aggression. You know what I'm saying? It's just a buildup, especially because of the fact, like I said, they're used to being able to go home on the weekend, or they're used to being able to see their parents every day or every other day for visitation. And now it's like everything has been shut down. Like you can't do anything. Only thing you can do is a phone call or FaceTime. Wow. You know, and, and honestly, it's just like, you have to feel, you have to feel for them because at the end of the day, it's like they're trying to build to get back to better life and be healthy again, be mentally healthy again. And be happy. Yeah. But because of this whole situation, only thing they could do is just see their parents through, through a screen. Oh, wow. Which is, which is um, I mean, thank you for, for, for the great work that you're doing, first of all. And I, when I was in college, I had your exact uh, role. I, actually, I, I was a psychiatric aide um, at a psychiatric hospital for children in Washington, D.C. And, and I spent time in there with a lot of these kids. A lot of them have built up anger sometimes, right? And they're frustrated. And, and I've read cases actually now of, you know, kids being, you know, it's time for them to go back home and they can't. And you have to explain to them while you're keeping them back in here. And it's so unfair. And they don't understand what's happening outside in the real world, right? So it's a very, very tough situation, especially for kids in, that are vulnerable in this particular situation. And so I think it's very important, you know, for, for some kind of care to be given to these patients. I mean, I mean, to these, to, to these kids. And so, and locking them up in a, in a building with no exposure to, to, to light or any exposure to outside environment is not actually great either, <laughs> right? So, Right. right. So everyone needs to get some kind of air or get some kind of exposure to sunlight, right? Walking around in nature or something. Right. Right. So, I, so what is the right way, you know, to take care of everyone to make sure every, for your mental health you actually survive? Which is a big, which is a big thing too. Mark, thank you so much for what you're doing. We appreciate it. I thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much. It, it, it's crazy because at the end of the day, it's like, like I know with me, I have to, I have two daughters at home plus my wife, and it's hard because like my job right now, they. Uh, is they try to supply us with everything that they need, you know, to keep us safe. But, you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, it's not enough. We all know that it's such a shortage out here. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's we do what we can. We wash our hands. We wear gloves. But it's just, at the end of the day, you know, like I said, we're it's, it's, it's not enough. No, you know what I'm saying? Mark, Mark, on so many levels, I want to thank you so much for the call and uh, wish you the best for you and your family. And thank you for the great work that you're doing with these children, because there's, uh, you know, they need you and they need people like yourself, professionals that really care for them. So thank you. Thank you for what they're doing. There's just not enough all the way around. Let's go to uh, Olivia right now. Olivia, hi, you're on Hot 97. Um, what's hi, your... how are you? All right. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I just had a, a quick question regarding a second wave of the virus. I oh, think yeah. initially when it started to become prevalent, people were very hypervigilant and crazy hand washing and, you know, very aware of social distancing and really staying home. And I feel like recently people have become more lax and are um, like I a lot too. more cavalier with their behavior. Like I was driving into the hospital last night on Westside Highway and the running trail was just packed. Um, so like in terms of a second wave, does the doc think that, you know, it could actually end up being worse than the first just because now as time has elapsed, people are like, well, I've made it this far and I haven't gotten sick or I maybe I was sick and I was asymptomatic, so I'm fine to go out. That doesn't really apply to me. Does he feel like there's potential for the second wave to actually be 
worse than the first was. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Excellent question. Dr. Manny, what about what Olivia is asking here? Second wave, we've heard some of the officials, the White House task force talking about second wave, other doctors talking about second wave. Could it be worse? And Olivia thinks people are kind of starting to slack off a little bit now. Correct. And I, I've looked at, and these people, are, uh, I have a, a buddy of mine from business school uh, <laughs> that wrote this article about this second wave specifically, right? And he calls these people the blue falcons, right? He's a former Navy SEAL guy. And, and it's very interesting because there are people that will not follow rules, right? Look at what happened in Florida a couple of weeks ago when the beaches opened, right? Everyone right. was flooding the beach all over each other, <laughs> right? And I bet you as the weather starts getting warm and they say, hey, the park is open, everyone will be in the park, right? And and if you say, hey, there's a concert, everyone will be flooding the streets and doing all this stuff, right? So definitely people will be doing that. And don't, don't forget, we we have and the second wave could be worse than the uh, than the first wave. Why is why is that? Because now we know that we have the flu season coming up, uh, right? And, and so the summer is is, is going to come in, and and people are going to to be more likes, and people are going to be socializing and interacting with, with each other. And then now we know that people died normally, you know, from the from the common flu. So imagine having COVID nineteen and the flu together here at the same time, and you have similar symptoms. Fever, <laughs> shortness of breath, all the similar kind of symptoms, and you have this combination. But it's possible that if, at least this time around, we are more proactive and we know that it's coming, so we might be able to better control that. But we have to all, you know, put on our face mask and continue hand washing and social distancing. So that's why we, we, we talked about this idea of what is happening today. It's not a short-term kind of mindset, right? So I think everyone should get ready that this is going to be for the long haul. For the, for the long haul, we need to be prepared for that. Uh, let's go to Carlos right now. Carlos, hi, you're on Hot 97, Melissa Evers and Dr. Manny. How are you? How you doing, Lisa, real quick? Okay. I know that you guys uh, got a few people online, but my question was, do that, you know we have limited access to the face mask and stuff like that. I have about one. Can I reuse it? How many times can I use it? Or can I put it in the dryer for 10 minutes and reuse it and consider it safe to use again? Oh yeah, what what kind of face mask is? Is it one of the surgical ones, or is it what what it what it's kind? One, it, it, yeah, it's one of the um. So why not like two one surgical one one N ninety five one? Um, as long as it doesn't have anything, it's all it's all material. You know, is it something that I, that I should that I could practice? Oh, excellent question. Dr. Manny, what about this? Because we've seen already devices for sale on the Internet, these UV sanitizers, like the ones they use in the nail salons to supposedly sanitize the equipment. Um, washing, can he put it, if it's a fabric mask, can he put it in the in a dryer on high heat for 10 minutes and does that kill a coronavirus? We know that the virus is uh, very fragile, so even though it's deadly, but you know it, it can't uh, withstand extremely high temperatures, right? I mean, it, temperature has been something that's been used uh, to kill um, viruses and bacteria for a long time, right? Like very high temperatures, and and so I, I think washing wash washing the mask and then drying it just from the heat, I think that should that should be help to clean it. Washing in hot water too, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, to to clean that up, right? I mean, even this week we had the reports um, in from the White House, right? Not was another story of conversation, right? <laughs> but, but we had from a scientist out of the White House, right? right. That talked about, you know, how the, how easily the virus gets destroyed. But it doesn't mean we should be relaxed. We should be relaxed with this, right? So you want to take every precaution. So you can't see the virus, right? Right. So it's not like you could say, hey, um, because I put it in here and I did the bare minimum that it, that it killed the virus. But we know um, uh, alcohol um, actually does an effective job in killing the virus very fast. But if you put it in heat, please expose it for a long period of time. Okay, great. All right, let's go to Christina right now. Christina, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. How are you? Lisa? Yes, Christina? 
Hi, this is Christina from the Lower East Side Bumper Houses. Okay, how um, are you? Have, I'm all right. I love you. Thank you. And um, I wanted to say that my son was tested positive on Rikers Island several weeks ago. And um, supposedly he's doing better. We don't speak. But is there a chance that he could catch COVID-19 again? That That's a great question that's come up. Where Is he recovered, first of all? Is he recovered now? He's, he was in treatment for a while, his girlfriend told me. And um, I'm just worried about him. He's 18. He's very healthy. And um, I'm just scared for him out there. You know, I can't visit him. I'm not being notified of anything. And I'm just worried for my child. Christina, what about are you able to what about phone calls? Are you able to talk with him at all? Um, she's three ways. Um, his girlfriend three ways me. Um, maybe once a month. We're really not on speaking terms because of the reason why he's in there. But, you know, he's still my child and of I course. love him and I pray for him and I hope like he doesn't catch it again. Being, you know, it's so dirty in there and it's serious on Rikers Island, you know. Um, is there a chance where he can catch this COVID again? Dr. Manny, what about that? If he's, he tested positive, he's getting, she says he's getting some kind of treatment. Um, what what can you tell Christina? So correct. So so um, uh, on the bright side of it, so I I would like for you to have some kind of encouragement. Uh, first of all, right. So overall, I know um, the message about uh, COVID nineteen in general sounds pretty dire, right? And, and so we talk about the deaths and everything else. But remember, a lot of people you know have been uh, exposed to this virus and they were asymptomatic or got sick and got better. Okay, so if he got sick enough and Fortunately, he's he's a young, healthy uh, he's 18, man. Right. Correct, he's a young, healthy man. Not saying that they're young people that die as well, right? But if he's healthy and he's young and, he, and he, this got caught up early and he's going to treatment and he's not go, we haven't got any news that he's getting worse. So hopefully, we're hoping that he recovers and he's in good shape, right? And that's fine. And so, with that being said. Like I said, this virus is still very new. Um, like members from January to now. That's right. what, so we don't have enough information to say, hey, what happens next year? Uh, people that got exposed, would they be infected again? Uh, but majority of people that have been uh, infected so far have not uh, caught second infections, but we don't know. But we do know that some people that were positive and got, that were sick and recovered got sick again. But we don't think it's because of a new infection or a mutation. We think that what happened was the immune system probably dropped. These people already had some kind of weakened immune system. And so maybe the virus reactivated itself in those particular patient populations, right? But the fact that he was sick and recovered so far, that's good news. That's, uh, that's good news. All right, Christina, that's good news. Let's go to Marcos right now. Marcos, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning, Good morning Doctor. Uh, now, I have a question that pretty much centralizes around not only the history of viruses and diseases control, um, but my question is, especially with the hold on everything that is elective, such as surgeries, dentistry, and medicine like that, that's going to be backed up after the virus, um, have we ever seen any pandemic in history affect us in such a way that we are in a state of lockdown? Even with non-sequential facts of how the virus is actually observed and adequately accounted for, 
how can, like, what can we say that justifies all of this lockdown with all of the statistics around the world that show that even countries and places that are in lockdown are seeing less deaths? I'm just asking, how do we see ourselves coming back from this? Um, and why are we in such a state of lockdown that is hurting people in much farther ways than the actual risk of getting the virus? Okay, Marcos, excellent question. Dr. Manny, in terms, of the, in terms of the scale of this, the number of deaths we have seen, if you're just looking at the sheer number of fatalities, we have seen other, other pandemics that have had higher fatalities. True. Correct. Um, and that's why we need to take this one seriously, right? So, uh, like I said, if you look at 1918, the, the Spanish flu, for example, which is the, the, the last major pandemic, like uh, at that scale, where we had things like SARS that we could control uh, to some extent, right? Then we could uh, mitigate that. But so if you look at 1918, like I mentioned, the initial wave, you had about, you know, 35 million people, but the end death toll was about 20 to 50 million people. Uh, there, there were parts of countries that were like the Aztecs, um, New Mexico, completely wiped out, right? So there, there were a lot of things, uh, massive uh, impact on this. And so, so the question becomes now is, why do we have um, the lockdown? What about Tamarcus's question? Because let me just sum it up. What he what he was saying is he Marcos is expressing a view that a lot of people there's a significant number of people that have the similar view, which is that the economic consequences of the lockdown are actually worse than any potential health consequence, you know, health consequences or loss loss of life. So he's saying, is is there a correlation? Does Is the lockdown really necessary to save lives? And is it saving lives in your opinion? Correct. So, so um, there's, there's two ways to look at everything you do, right? There's just cost-benefit analysis, where you look at the cost of, of, of doing things and, and what happens. We know that this virus, basically the entire world is on lockdown. So there's no place today. I mean, I started with Sweden. There's and nowhere to go. Right. Correct. It's not like you could leave and there's some countries that are not locking down. So they're doing this. Every, like literally every country, uh, that is trying to f- control this is on lockdown. If you look at planes flying across, they're all empty, right? And, and so, so 90, 90, 98% of the world is on lockdown, <laughs> right? So, so with that being said, if you look at uh, economic death and, and, and actual death, you see, if you could be broke and you could might still make some money and come back and you could still function, right? We've done this before. 9-11 happened. Uh, you know, the world came together and we all survived as New Yorkers. But if you look at uh, when you die from this th- and you can't recover, like, there's no such thing as I died and then I came back after, <laughs> right? So right. it's a permanent death. It's a killer. Correct. That, that's one. The second piece of it is we don't have, we didn't have enough hospital beds to begin with. So if we had that many people sick and showed up at the hospital, our hospital will be over flooded and we cannot take care of these people and people will die, which is what is happening today. <laughs> right. So, so. It, right. We heard the minister talking about the, the, the funeral home had to, to be quarantined because they had so many bodies in there and all the workers were sick. Correct. So that's, that's the reality of it. So, so you hear people. But most make, people don't see that though. Most, most people don't see that. And I, I understand how hard it is, um, you know, for, for people to be home and, uh, you know, getting furloughed and losing your job and, and not able to go to restaurants and life is, uh, is on standstill. It is, it is a very difficult thing. And that's, that's that's where is, that's what's very tough on politicians today. And don't forget, this is an election year as well, right? So there, there are many factors as to why that we should not have this full lockdown. But we have to always ask that question. How do we get back to normal? Do you want to just get back to normal because we want to have jobs and go to restaurants and then get sick again? Remember, it's not just about you being healthy, right? It's about the community. It's about the community and people that might get sick from that. About everyone. All right, let's go to uh, Dennis real quick. Dennis, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Lisa. My question is for um, regarding N95 masks. Will they by any chance be available uh, for general public at some point? 
Okay, excellent question. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Dennis, for the call. Dr. Manny, what about that The uh, real quick because we're about to go to break here? But uh, what about Dennis's question about the N95 mask? Correct. So, so I mean, right now, I mean, if, if you're a member of the general public, you could get it. You could get it. But the, the advice is that you should we should let let this for frontline workers, right? So they, they get this because they're a higher risk of exposure until we have enough to cover everyone else, right? So I, I think right now, no one had this N95 mask hanging around waiting for this, right? So now everyone knows that everyone needs one. So I'm sure manufacturing capacity is, is off the charts. <laughs> so I'm sure a month from now, two months from now, the market will be flooded with all N95 masks, and then we could uh, all have access to these. But for now, it's advised that we, will, we will donate this or actually let uh, frontline workers um, get access to this. All right, this is Hot 97 Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Dr. Manny with us in studio, taking your calls on uh, the coronavirus, all things happening uh, relative to that at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. Everybody hanging on, and uh, we'll be back right after this. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. We're here with you live um, Sundays, every Sunday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. And please tell your family and friends, you know, we're all trying to come together through this. This is a really rough time. I know a lot of the calls, it's it's very depressing for people, but this is the reality. You know, it's it's like this these things that we're doing to try to stay safe, the masks, the gloves, the cleaning, everything, the uh, social distancing, staying home, all of these types of things, it's to save lives. It's it's that simple. It's not just, you know, oh, you got to be a good citizen. No, it's about saving somebody's life, if not yours or your loved ones, somebody else's loved ones. So that's what we're doing here. we got Dr. Dr. Manny, a.k.a. Dr. Emmanuel Fambu with us here in the studio. He's a medical doctor and surgeon. And uh, we're going to take a lot of your telephone calls at one 800 223 97. All right. I'm going to go right through the list here, Dr. Manny. Let's go to Jay. Jay, hi. You're on Hot 97. How are you doing? Hello, Lisa. Uh, yes, basically, I was just calling to find out if the virus can uh, pass from a dead body to someone living. And this question is for you, Lisa. Um, basically, I just want to know if there's been uh, a breakthrough in a, in a pop smoke case. Okay. Two, okay. Two good questions. First, I'm going to take the pop smoke one. Um, there has not been a breakthrough as far as I know, but I'm definitely looking into it and definitely following up on that. You know, we're coming up on the fifth anniversary of the Chinks murder. May he rest in peace. And, um, the same, the same tenacity that I had with the murder of Chinks, I feel the same way about Pop Smoke that we need to know what's going on, even though there's a lot of people that may know what's going on and don't want to talk. And, uh, there, there will be developments. I guarantee that. So I'm, I'm staying on that. When I have things confirmed, I'll be posting them. Um, now to Dr. Manny, the question, the question that he had was that Jay had was about the, the virus. If somebody, because we do have this case of people, people dying, uh, people people dying, dying and, and being in the house for like a day, sometimes two days, or being in another, another location, can you get COVID from a, somebody who's already passed away? Absolutely. Actually, uh, if someone dies from the virus, um, that means that the virus has overtaken them, right? In the point. So you, it's basically like a petri dish. Like you should have like a highly infectious person that died from the virus. So you know there's an active virus, um, on, on, on that particular patient. Remember the, 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 the person is dead, but the virus is not dead, right? <laughs> so it's two separate oh, wow. things here. Correct. So. So anybody touching them? 
Correct, and, and so that's even why, though they're not breathing. Correct, and and that's why if, in New York City, if, if you look at you know the, the stress on, on on people that have to actually clean these homes after someone dies, right, or, or pick up dead bodies or clean up hospitals, that's why it's actually very infectious at that point, and they're very concerned and very worried. Yes, yeah, so yeah, so it's actually and think about this, uh, Lisa. We have people that are dying at home, and we talked we talked about this with Oren Barthelay in the uh, EMS union. Yeah, correct. And so if, if they say you go home and you and you get quarantined, and if you live in a one bedroom apartment or you live in efficiency apartment uh, right you don't have your own separate room how do you self-quarantine in that particular situation exactly correct you're asking the average person to become a healthcare expert <laughs> right by staying home so if you live at home with kids uh, or other family members you expect everyone to become an expert on how to take care of a quarantine person overnight right so this is very hard so these people are getting sicker and so this keeps getting out and, and keeps spreading so it's very dangerous that's why i think it's very important for us to focus on our healthcare system. People get sick, let's keep them at the hospital somewhere. I know we don't have enough space, but that's something we should be But they be need to be somewhere. And, and they should be somewhere, not home. The mayor, the mayor was talking about if people, after, the, after this testing, after the contact tracing, if they need to go into isolation, that they, should, um, that they may be able to put them up in hotels, in a hotel room, which I think would be very tough to kind of maintain a lo- any type of lifestyle in, in a room. Just in a room like that, but um, that's what he's talking Correct. about. Correct. What hotel was, is going to take all the, all, the, all the patients that are positive for, for exactly. coronavirus? Right? Exactly. The stigma attached to that. All right. Let's go to Dawn right now. Dawn, hi. You're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, Lisa. This is Dawn Kelly. I'm the owner of The Nourish Spot, and I just wanted to shout you out and tell you thank you um, for hosting these wonderful, important, informative talks. Um, Our community needs these now more than ever. Um, And as the owner of The Nourish Spot, I just want to just say out loud, people need to eat to live, you know? We have to focus on intervention, prevention, and treatment. And so if, if we intervene now in our diets, okay, and make sure that like um, the doctor has said, like um, Mr. Diaz has said, that we eat more healthy now. We make sure what we consume in our mouths, you know, is affirming to our bodies, then we can prevent ourselves and our communities from becoming sicker when these type of pandemics and diseases hit our communities. So, and in addition to that, I want to make sure that people in their, you know, in their spare time, they're filling out the census so that we can have hospitals in our communities so that that we can get the treatment we deserve. So I just want to say, you know, um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for what oh, you're doing. That's so sweet. And, and, and please continue because information is power and we need more people like you um, telling us what's important for us to do um, that we can do individually to protect our lives. Wow. Lisa, if anything comes out of me sh- showing up on the weekends and do this call, <laughs> this is like the main thing I wanted to advocate for, right? This exact same concept of, you know, of, of prevention, interception, and cure, and managing disease, right? And so if that message is going out, then I think we've done, it, we've done our jobs. We've done our job. Thank Don, you very Don, much. Don, thank you so much for that great message, and, and thank you for the uh, appreciation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Let's go to Samuel right now, because uh, we're coming up on the 9 o'clock hour. Dr. Manning, we've got a lot of calls. Samuel, hi, you're on. Hot 97, go right ahead. Long time no speak to you since the 90s. Oh, my God. Uh, this is the Samuel. Okay, how are you? Good, you good, good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you said it, it closed. You, you are t- you're supposed to take your clothes off as soon as you enter the house. So can you run in your bedroom for a couple of seconds? Would that have any <laughs> effect so, on the... Um, Okay, don't, don't, don't think. No, I'm not don't laughing. Don't think outside I'm... the box there. Don't think outside the box. I know no, what you're thinking about. No, we're not thinking. 
Samuel, listen, I'm going to uh, listen. We're going to get a response from Dr. Manny because not everyone has like a hallway or not everyone has a big enough apartment that they can privately take off all of their clothes. They may not necessarily have that kind of family member living with them that they're comfortable doing that. So let's uh, just stand by here and let me let me get an answer from Dr. Manny. What, what about coronavirus on the clothes? Because you've been talking about since the beginning about these surfaces, the, these surfaces. We talked last week about the phones, which a lot of people were forgetting to clean. Um, what about clothing? Can it stay like on your jacket? Oh, on oh your- yes, definitely. I mean, the, the, your clothing is, is it, it's a surface. That's why we, even for healthcare workers, right, or frontline workers, we made this argument about you know people being able to have like some kind of uh, disposable uh, outfit that they put on. I, I don't, I'm not saying everyone on the street should walk around with disposable outfits, but if you come in contact with the virus. It, Definitely will go in your clothing, just like any other surface. That's where your clothes are. And then it would stay on the fabric or would just... Yeah, it would was, it was stay on the fabric, uh, depending on what the fabric is uh, for the amount of time. We know it could last a different kind of fabrics. Uh, I mean, if you look at fabric, uh, card boxes or whatever, your clothes are made of jeans. So right. based on the material, it could last for up to 20, 24 hours or 48 hours. Um, under, right? Without, I mean, this is without anyone touching it or doing anything to it, right? So I, I think if you are, in, I'm not saying if you leave the house or go to the grocery store, you need to come back and take off your clothes and be, do all this, right? But right. if you, a healthcare worker, you get, or you get in contact with someone or you high risk kind of environment, then you want to take your clothes off. It, We've seen cases of doctors, for example, that actually live, or nurses that live in their garages. Because I don't want to expose your family to this, right? Because right. It, yeah, correct. And, and or if you're one of the aides that goes into people's homes, all all the aides that we have, the the home attendants, the healthcare attendants, all kinds of aides that, that are going into homes to help people. Correct. You want to put you, you definitely want to put on something over your clothes, like something disposable, or you put on scrubs or something you could take off. Right? Or even like a or even like some kind of light light coat or jacket or something that, correct. that you, that, that you just take off. That you just take off and then put in a separate location, right? right. And they make sure yes, you, that you can that do it like that. Clean that. Correct. All right. I do that a lot of times when I'm reporting, too. I did it way before this. Let's go to Doris right now. Mm-hmm. Doris, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. This is, the f- this is the first time I ever listened to your show. I love Hot 97 um, because of DJ Camillo. He's a good DJ. He helps me throughout the day through his music. And I'm getting better. Um, my PCP. Dr. Stella Milos, she was the one that diagnosed me over the phone. Wait a second, Dor- found- Doris, 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 hold on one second, sweetie. So you you have coronavirus? Is that what you're you're telling us? She told me I have the symptoms. Yes, and she told me that over the phone. She never examined me. She never did anything. And this is a doctor. Said, I'm Yes, she's my doctor. Her name is Dr. Stella Milos. She has an office in Ridgewood, Queens. Okay, but so wait, so wait, so she tells you, so did you, did she, did she examine you or she just, you just talked to her no, over the phone? Verbal over the phone. But why, why did you get in contact and, with her? Did you have symptoms and did you call in or would yes, you just check? Yes, I couldn't, I couldn't see. The fever was too high. Um, I spoke to my dad. He was like, call your doctor. Go see her. You have to. Because we don't know what's wrong with you. The, every, it was everything. The shakes, the hot and cold, the weakness. I couldn't get out of bed. It, and it, I called her. She diagnosed me. My grandma's dead. My mother's dead. I started praying to Jesus, to God, 
to give me strength. I'm a single mom with two kids, a boy and a girl, a four-year-old and a nine-year-old. And they're running around the house, and I, they were crying. They held my hand. My dad is a Jehovah Witness. I don't, I don't, I believe in God. I don't know what color he is. I just believe in my home. This is my paradise. This is my church. This is my fantasy world. Okay, but Doris, you know but Doris let me just, let me just ask you, because it, again, I'm sorry to say it, but we just have a, a couple of minutes left in the show. And I want to get Dr. Manny to weigh in if there's any, any medical, many, medical help he can give you. <laughs> what is your situ, what is your situation? So the doctor said you, she thinks you probably have coronavirus. What is your, <laughs> Dr. Manny, what should, what should we know? Which, which Did you get a test done? Have you taken any test? Yes, I went to urgent care in Howard Beach on Linden Boulevard. Thank God for them. So this after, they helped me. This, this, they this gave after, me after the, your PCP told me. you, after your PCP told you mm-hmm. that you went to the urgent care center and they, yes. did, they did a, yes. a test. My always told me to rest in peace to always the second opinion, never to believe what one doctor says. But the second opinion was positive. Did the test come back negative the or positive? Opinion, no, 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 no. They told me. Take the Z-Pack, Tylenol, and Robitussin because I couldn't even speak. The fever was too high. They kept me there for like six to eight hours. I seen first responders come in. They okay. all took the test. He uh, told me they didn't have the test yet. I'm sorry. All right, Dor- Doris, let me get it. Let me get a re- let me get a response from doc- Dr. Manny here, real quick. Correct. So, if you have if you have symptoms, um, especially now, if you have fever, you have. Uh, the chills, you have the body aches, and you have difficulty breathing, and your fever is that high, and and you have a doctor that sees you all the time that understands your risk, and it looks like COVID nineteen, then it should assume that you have COVID nineteen, right? Because right. The, the idea of not uh, taking it like that and managing that way, if because we, we we know the shortage of tests, right? So the doctor right. might not have access to tests. You call exactly, correct, and, and the, the symptoms. If you tell me, hey, if you call me and you say today I have a very high fever, um, I have difficulty smelling or tasting food. I have a fever and chills. Sounds like COVID nineteen, right? 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 So, so it's positive unless on the proven otherwise, right? In this case, until we get testing. And so, I think in this case, the doctor was saying, "Listen, um, your symptoms look like COVID nineteen, and I think that we should get tested." Right. But very interestingly, is what happens through these telemedicine kind of platforms, and when you do this, what's the first thing uh, that the caller said happened as soon as they told her she was positive? Her kids came and held her hand. Right. You had this piece here, right? Right. And so, so people are coming, which is natural human nature to do this. Right. You come but, around to support the person you love with. Instead of quarantining. So, so now what happens is now it's a higher now risk. Now the children are piece. at risk. Right? And then now everyone is terrified of them, but now everyone is coming to be supportive. And now you're higher risk. So now what happens to so the kids? Now they need to be tested. So it comes back to the idea of contact <laughs> tracing. Tracing. <laughs> right. And just these standard things that are so, so hard for us to do. Let's Correct. take, let's take a couple more calls here. Um, try to squeeze them in. Charles, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hello. Hey, Charles, how are you? You're on the air. I know you've hey, been waiting a long good, time. Good. Hey, good, good morning, guys. Yeah, I don't want to take up so much of the time. We only got a couple of minutes left. But listen, um, what I was touching up on was going to say, uh, Ruben from the Bronx, my goodness, uh, bless that man. He hit everything that I was going to say, okay. what I had to you know, say about as far as, you know, the, the community. Because I, I was born and raised in Coney Island in Brooklyn, so... You know, it's a very condensed area. You know, I grew yes. up in the projects. So, you know, I don't live in the projects anymore. I'm at it. I live out in the Pennsylvania area now, small town, not condensed as me living in the projects. You know what I mean? And um, awareness is key. People, awareness is key. And like he said, 
the youth is, is taking this as like it's a walk in the park. This ain't a walk in the park. They need to stop and think about what they're doing. Never mind going to the store five or six times to get 25-cent bags of potato chips and putting your families at risk and putting others at risk. They need to stop and think about what's going on. Awareness is key. No, it's Charles. responsibility. Parent, it's parent responsibility, too. You no, know what Charles, I mean? And Charles, you know, absolutely. Don't send your kids. Don't send your kids, you know, or, or go out there. Get what you got to get. Stay home. Stay home. Like, I'm going to send you work. I'm a truck driver. I'm in and out of the city every single day. I'll never forget where I came from. But at the end of the day, it's this. Awareness. Awareness, awareness. I don't Aware- I can't awareness. stress this enough. No, no Charles. Charles, excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm out of time, but I want to thank you. Thank you very much for the point that, that you're making. Um, real quick, Dr. Manny, uh, Chase is asking real quick. Can you have, uh, can you have COVID-19 and not have any symptoms? Yes, you, you could be, you could, you could have, you, you could carry the virus, but not have symptoms, right? And that's something, uh, and, and this happens with many other bacteria and viruses that people could carry without having symptoms. You get symptoms when that virus, um, I mean, breaks a barrier, right? And gets you infected and your body cannot fight it. Yeah, so it, it is very common. That's what we're talking about, that when we do mass testing, we'll find out that many people around us, like all of us, probably carry the virus and never actually knew we had the virus, which is why it's very important for us to, um, to maintain to social maintain, distance. And, social, and, and the other thing, too, is I think, I think people were talking about the young people, but there, there were some, there, it's not just the young people that are not social distancing. I've seen people of all, you know, of all age groups that are, are not really following this. And I think part of the problem, too, I'm just going to say quickly, as a news reporter, this is a very difficult story for us to really show what's really going on. We cannot show people who have passed away. We cannot show people who are sick because a lot of the people, um, there's the private, the privacy issues. We are not allowed in hospitals except in very limited circumstances. Um, the, the bodies that, that people see, these, the refrigerator trucks and that type of thing that's so disturbing, that cannot be shown on television in, mo- in most cases. So a lot of these things that you're, that, where the impact is being felt, you're not actually seeing it the way you would see it if a building blew up or if there was a murder on the street and there's 10, you know, there's police cars and crime scene and tape and all that kind of thing. So it's a very, a very difficult thing to tell the real story of what's going on. And that's why we're, we're so, so lucky to be able to do this show and um, really give you some kind of an idea of what's happening and let you all call in. So I want to thank everybody that called in today. Um, two street soldiers. I want to thank thank our guests, uh, Philip Hamilton. I want to thank Reverend Dr. Johnny Green. I want to thank Bronxboro President Ruben Diaz Jr. and uh, Dr. Manuel Fambu, aka Dr. Manny. Thank you very much for being with us again for uh, helping us through this. And I want I want to thank my whole team here because this really is a team effort. Um, who are with me every single week? And I and I Johnson producing DJ Michael Medium helping with the show editing and distribution. In addition to all his DJ duties. Um, Mia Bell on the artist tip, keeping it, keeping us uh, up to date on what's going on. Marilyn on the phones. Juliana on production assistance from our programming department. Pio Ferro and TT Torres. Um, Pat Robinson from HR and community engagement, always with her finger on the pulse of what's happening in our communities. Our amazing digital department, Mike Fox, Luis Mercado, Rasan, L'Oreal, everyone behind the scenes helping us get the word out. I appreciate all of you, and I'm so very fortunate to be working um, with you. And I also want to give a special shout out 
to my nephew, A.J. Evers. He's got three IVs in him, but I know he's going to come through. And I know many families have lost, have, have loved ones who are sick or have lost loved ones to the coronavirus. We're not able to be with them at the end. Um, adding to that tragedy, you're in our, my thoughts and prayers too. So in the meantime, remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. Oh, and Jack on the board. How can I forget? All right. Jack is right here. <laughs> Jack is like right, right by my side here. Um, making sure we keep the phone lines on and stay on the air and keep everything coordinated here. Um, remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Let's push for peace, joy, love, and healthy lives.